What's going on, Coastal Community Church? How are you guys doing today? You guys doing good? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're joining with us today. Can you guys help me welcome everybody at our Lighthouse Point location and everybody that's watching online, man. We love you guys. We're so glad that you're joining with us here. And uh, man, we've been in this series called Your Best Self, and we've been talking about all things mental health. We've been talking about how we're processing things in our mind. And, and here's what I know is, is I think that a lot of us are going through a lot of things that are, are, are happening underneath the surface that we're not being extremely transparent about. And my hope is, is that you're getting a lot out of this series and that you're helping to have some breakthrough in your life in some ways that maybe you haven't thought about them before. And listen, if, you, if you're new here with us or you're a guest here with us, I wanna encourage you, or you missed a couple weeks, I wanna encourage you to go back, listen online to the last couple weeks and um, it'll, it'll help you out. And uh, we're gonna just dive into today's message. If that's okay with you guys, is that okay? We just dive right in. Are you guys even awake today? I know it's raining outside here in Parkland. I don't know if it's raining over there, but I, I, I was so soaking wet, I had to change shirts between services, trying to help people get in. Anyways, 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, you can wa watch online on the, the screen. It says, now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against Negeb and Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And I wonder if you've ever been there. If you've ever been in that place where you, you've cried and, and you just got to the end, you're like, man, I've got nothing left. It says David's two wives also had been taken captive something of Jazreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. So he wept until he had nothing left. And on top of that, man, he's, he's stressed out. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, son of Imelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And I just wanna let you know that some of you guys today, you don't even know what this is, but I believe that you are going to get your ephod back today. And, and, and it's gonna be helpful in your life, but you're gonna want it by the end of this message. Let me read verse 18, skipping down. It says, David recovered all. Somebody shout all. all. Come on, shout all. all. There we go. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. And I believe that for some of you today, the things that the enemy has stolen in your life, man, you're, you're gonna get back today. I believe that God is gonna restore some things to your life. He's gonna bring some things back to your life, your hope, your peace, your joy. Nothing is gonna be missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. And David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're gonna do. And I pray 
that God, you would show up and you would speak to your people. All the things that you've downloaded in my life, God, help me to communicate that so that we can experience your power and your presence. God, I pray that today would be a day of restoration, that you would bring back the things that have been stolen by the enemy and that God, that there would be a divine breakthrough that would take place in people's lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Here's what I've kind of discovered over the last 20 something years of being a pastor is when it comes to our lives, church typically is the place where we have a tendency to lie the most. It's where we lie the most. And I know some of you guys are are, are having some pushback on that. In your mind, you're like, I'm not here lying, but here's what I know is that every time you come to church, you're, you're gonna have five to 15 people, depending on what location you come to, ask you, hey man, how's it going? How are you doing? And you know what you're gonna say? You're gonna say, oh, I'm doing great. I'm blessed and highly favored. And you know that that is a straight up lie because you have just had the week from hell. Not only did you have the week from hell, but on the way to church, you and your spouse were arguing and now you're not even talking and you're just holding hands, squeezing each other's hands, being like, you better not say anything right now. You just better smile and go, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And on the way to church, while you guys were arguing, your kids got in a fight and so you were back there going, hey, you better stop, stop acting that way, beating them up. (laughs) And now you're acting like, oh man, I'm I'm good. Everything's great. And here, here's the deal, church. I'm tired of playing the game here. I'm just straight up tired of the game because the things that we're talking about, like depression and anxiety and, and, and worry and addiction, across the board are on the rise statistically in America. And we've moved in life from from finding value in intrinsic things to extrinsic things. Let me, let me define that for you. We value income over peace. We value a bigger house over joy. We value uh, getting that promotion or getting to that next level over real and authentic relationships. And what's happened is, is, is we've got things twisted in our mind and we're wondering why it's coming out in so many ways in our life. In fact, one psychologist said it like this. He said, many people are afraid to give up worry because they believe that it prevents bad things from happening to them. Like our, our thinking and our process is so off that we believe that by worrying more, it's gonna help us out in life. The last time I checked, the more I have a tendency to worry about something and fixate and focus on that, the more propensity there is for that thing to happen in my life. And so we're worrying, thinking that by worrying more is gonna prevent something when it's actually encouraging more things to happen in our life. And let me just tell you something, church, this is not the life that God intended for you and I to live. And and I said this last week, but I think the church has done a bad job as the church as a whole to let you know that it's okay to not be okay. Like, it's okay for you to not be okay, but if I could rhyme a little bit with you today, I, I would think that God would say to you that he doesn't want you to stay that way though. But because for so long the church has said, no, it's not okay to not be okay, what we've done is we've stuffed down emotions, we've put on the front, we've suppressed our feelings. 
and we put on the smile and the facade that everything is all good. Everything in life is great. And, and, and we think that in order for us to have faith, we have to suppress how we feel. Because if I, was, like if I had faith, I wouldn't feel this way. And I know I'm hitting home because we've been taught for a long, that you're feeling that that's not faith. And what ends up happening is, is, is we end up compartmentalizing our life into different, well, this is, this is my church bucket, this is my home bucket, this is my work bucket, this is my activities bucket, and we end up compartmentalizing our life. And what that does is it causes us to live with a lack of integrity. And now when we think of the word integrity, we automatically think, well, well, I don't tell people lies, but the word integrity actually comes from the word integer. And because I know you all are math geniuses, you know this, that the word integer means the whole. It means that, that you don't compartmentalize your life. Your life is the same over here as it is here, as it is here, as it is here. But a lot of us, what we're doing is we're compartmentalizing, thinking that, well, I can just keep this section over here, and as long as I keep it over here, it won't affect everything over here. But being a pastor for the last 20 years, one thing I've learned is that when one compartment starts to crash in, every compartment crashes in. And some of us right now, we're compartmentalizing and our life is blowing up because a portion of who we're saying we are is not taking place. And here's the thing, like you can't be this and this and this. God just wants you to be the same person everywhere. That's the idea of integrity. You're a whole across the board. And I'm just on this journey, church, of, uh, of living with greater and greater integrity, not compartmentalizing my life away, but dealing with life so I can actually be a whole person. And here's what I know, is sometimes we fake it in here. And I just want you to know that God, God's not afraid of your rawness. God's not afraid of the real thing that you're thinking. He's not afraid of the thing that you're going. Like, like he's not up there in heaven. And, and, and here's what I see in so many people. They're like, man, I could never say to God what's going on. Really? Like he's God. He knows everything. He created you. He made you. He knows how you think. He knows what you say. He knows what you did. And he loves you anyways. So like, by you saying something, it's not actually doing anything for God. I don't know if you've ever realized this or not. Like, God is already free. He doesn't need your confession for freedom. You know who needs your confession for freedom? You do. So evidently, there's something about us getting real and authentic that isn't necessarily for God, but it's for us that we have got to discover. And if we don't discover it, what ends up happening is we end up living a life where we are overwhelmed where you're overwhelmed in your soul. And I'm not talking about concern for somebody. I'm, uh, there's a difference between being concerned and being 
overwhelmed. There's a difference between being hurt and, and being overwhelmed. There's a difference between concern of like, hey, I'm not really sure what's going on with that person and your soul being overwhelmed. I'm talking about the kind of overwhelmed that, that keeps you up all night long because you're overwhelmed in your soul. I'm talking about the kind of overwhelmness that, that wakes you up at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. thinking about the same thing over and over and over again. I'm talking when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that comes to your mind. I'm talking about you go and you cry, all the tears that you cry, and you think there's no way I can cry anymore. And then you wake up the next day and you go, oh, no, there's more. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think we've all been there. I know that there was a season of my life for four to six months where my soul was just so overwhelmed. Like where I didn't even feel like I could get up here and speak God's word. Where I didn't even feel like I could function where I'd be up every hour on the hour at night just playing the scenario in my mind over and over and over again. I remember I was on a way to a meeting one day one, at one point in this and I was driving in my car and I had one of those moments where I just started crying uncontrollably, not like little tears, I'm talking like rivers and snot bubbles, like <laughs> full on. So much so that I had to pull over on the side of the road and I was like, TJ, you need to pull yourself together. Like, you can't show up to this meeting with puffy eyes and snot bubbles. You better, you better, and like, I, I couldn't even lead, let alone go to a meeting. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to pastor people. I didn't want to counsel people. I didn't want to love anybody. I just wanted to be in this situation where I was so overwhelmed and honestly, I didn't know how to get out of it. And this is where David is. And listen, I, I didn't lose faith in the middle of that. Some of you think you can't have an overwhelmed soul and be honest about it because it means I don't have faith in God. Listen, I didn't have any less faith when I was in that situation. My heart was just broken. And just because I have a broken heart doesn't mean that I don't believe that God is good and that God is awesome and that God's got a plan for my life. I, I just was hurting and wounded and overwhelmed. And here's what I learned is when you're overwhelmed, your mind will, will take you to places that you never thought were imaginable. You'll start, you'll start creating stories in your mind that are insane. And, and while the stories are insane, you'll still be believing that God has a purpose and a plan for your life and that he's good. But, but you're just overwhelmed with grief. And maybe you're here and you're a super Christian and you don't deal with any of this, but, but souls get overwhelmed. And that isn't the life that God intended for any of us to live. And, and, and there is a way that God wants you to live. And there is a principles that he has in his words that if we apply them are true for every single one of our lives. And I just want to say this before I go any further, that, that I'm all for counseling. Like I think every man, woman, student, child should be in counseling. The reason why is because all of us are jacked up. Not a single one of you has got it together. I know somebody out there is thinking, well, I got it together, and that's your problem. That's why you need counseling, because you think you're perfect, and you're not. Like, 
Going to counseling doesn't make you a less of a Christian or weak in your faith. It actually shows that you're strong and you're aware enough to know you need some help. Listen, uh, under the right circumstances and under the right medical insight, I don't have a problem with medicine. Like, some of y'all, you need to stay on your meds. Because I know somebody will walk out of here today and go like, my pastor said I'm healed in Jesus' name. No, 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 stay on your meds in Jesus' name. You need them right now. Nothing wrong with that. But I also believe in the supernatural power of God to heal you right where you are. I'm not discounting any of those things. So imagine for me, with me for a moment, David walks up to this scene and he sees the smoke billowing from a distance. And I I imagine in that moment that David had the feeling that you have when you are with a friend and they say, hey, you're gonna need to sit down for this conversation. And it's in that moment that your heart just, just slows down and the heat kind of comes over your body and your palms start getting sweaty and there's the nervousness because you know whatever is about to come is not gonna be very good. And I'm sure that as they saw that, they, they start speeding up towards the colony and they realize that there is no commotion going on, that there is no laughter from children, but that they don't know that all of them have been taken. And how many of you know that sometimes life will just sucker punch you? For some of us, the reason we have an overwhelmed soul, honestly, is because we made some decisions in life. And those decisions have have, have created some sin in our life. And, and if you wanna get past that aspect of an overwhelmed soul, it's really, really simple. All you have to do is go to God and confess and repent. And here's what will happen. God will lighten your load. But for some of us, it feels like God just, or the world or something just pulled the rug out from underneath of us. And we are overwhelmed in our life. Like you woke up, you thought it was gonna be a great day. Everything was gonna be perfect. And all of a sudden life punches you in the throat. And this is where David is. He's walking up on saying, this is David, the mighty warrior. This is King David. This is the man after God's own heart. And he's weeping until he can't weep anymore. He didn't lack faith. He was just broken in life. Listen, you can be broken and still be a Christian. You can be broken and still have faith in God. You can weep and still believe that God is good. And so David is broken in this moment. And the Bible says, and it's a principle that I think that we can draw out from this story. In verse four, it says, David and the people who are with him. Here's what I know in your life. When you have an overwhelmed soul, there's something you're gonna need in life if you're gonna make it through it. And number one is this, is that you have got to find your people. If you're going to go through life and face these moments and not get overwhelmed in your soul, you cannot weep alone. Like you just can't. It says it was David and the people. In other translations, it says it was David and his men. Like David had such a security in him that he could show his emotions with the men that were the closest to him. He had such security that they were like, man, we're gonna weep together, we're gonna cry together, we're broken together, and they just let it all out. And my question for you is, is who are the people in your life that you can do that with? 
Who are the people that when all hell breaks loose are the people you call to come and bail you out with water? And most of us, if we were honest, we don't have those people. It's one of the reasons why we tell you all the time here, get in a connect group, get in a connect group, get in a connect group. Listen, I could care less if you're in a connect group. What I care about is you finding some people in your life that will be your people when all hell breaks loose. Because it's, it's not a matter of if this is gonna happen, it's a matter of when this is gonna happen. There is gonna be a time when your soul is gonna be overwhelmed and you are going to need some people when the smoke is smoldering and the ashes are flying that will be there with you to walk you through it. It's one of the reasons why I love the story of Job. In the story of Job, it says, man, when Job's friends arrived, you know what they did for seven days? They just sat there and said nothing. They sat there and just mourned with their friend. They grieved with their friend. They loved their friend. Like, who are those people in your life? And if you don't have those people, go find some. Find them. I can start pointing to people in our church right now that, that because they, they got outside of themselves and decided to do this, their life is 180 degrees different. They're not broken, they're healed. Just by taking this step to find their people. I know for my life when in that season, I, I remember making a text to four guys. Within 30 seconds, I had three phone calls. Within 30 minutes, one of those guys, he's the only one that's, that was close enough, he was at my house within 30 minutes. And all he did is he sat there and cried with me. Who's gonna come sit in your house and cry with you? Who cares about you that much that they'll show up at the most inopportune times when you're in your worst? And here's the thing in those moments, it says David wept and he wept aloud. He didn't hold it in. And I think a lot of us, we have this feeling that we're gonna offend God if we say out loud what we're thinking. I, I, I remember in that four to six months, I said all kinds of crazy things to God. In fact, I, I'm just gonna be real honest. I, most of my prayers to God in those moments were, were, were laced with a lot of profanity. I was angry. And I know some of y'all are thinking, well, I can't, I can't go to a church where my pastor cusses in his prayers. Listen, this is not a perfect church. I'm not, I'm not encouraging profanity, but what I am encouraging you is you gotta get real with God. Because yeah. if you can't get God, real with God, how are you gonna get real with anybody else? And I had so many questions for God that honestly didn't get answered on this side of heaven. But it said that in verse four, it says, David and the people who were with him, they raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Number two, you gotta find your people, but if you don't resolve your pain in this season, listen, it will follow you into the next season. And some of you, the reason that you have an overwhelmed soul is, is it, you are facing the repercussions of unresolved issues from a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, and you grew up in a day and a time where we didn't talk about it, we swept it under the rug, we acted like nothing happened, and you're gonna face it later on if you don't address it now. 
And David was willing to let it out. He wept aloud before the Lord and before people. And, and here's the thing. We all have a choice to make when our soul and our heart is overwhelmed. There are two paths. And the text shows us this in verse six. It says that David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the, all the people were bitter in their soul. Choice number one that you can make when you're in a situation where your soul is overwhelmed is you can go down the path of having a bitter soul. And here's what that means. It means that you're gonna experience some pain. And here's the cycle. Pain is always gonna lead to blame. And blame is always gonna lead to more pain. Pain leads to blame and blame always leads to more pain. And our natural tendency in life when we experience pain is to point the finger. It's gotta be somebody else's fault. And if you look at the story, all the men that were with David, what did they do? They started blaming David for the destruction, for their wives and their children being taken. But David wasn't an Amalekite. He didn't destroy the town. He didn't take the women. He didn't take the children. He was just an easy target. And some of us in life, we've been looking for easy targets and, and because we need somebody to blame in our life. And what happens is we blame and then or we have pain and then we blame, which goes to pain, which goes to more blame, which goes back to pain. And we just end up in this vicious cycle because it's gotta be somebody else's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my dad's fault that he didn't show up to my third grade recital. It's my boss's fault. It's my spouse's fault. And while they may have some responsibility in it, at the end of the day, it leads to a bitter soul in your heart. And then that bitterness begins to project on other people. Well, I bet they're thinking this. Well, I bet they said that and they didn't say anything about you. And what ends up happening is the enemy gets a foothold in your mind and begins to take you down path after path after path, leading you in all these directions, making up all these stories that don't even exist because you've got a bitter soul but there's another choice. Choice number two, you can become bitter or you can become better. Well, TJ, how, how, how do I do that? Because that's, that's, a, that's a great phase. It kind of rhymes, but like, how does that practically work? It says in 1 Samuel, the second part of verse six, it says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. In other words, David said, this isn't anyone else's responsibility to get me out of this pit, but it's my responsibility. And the only way that I know how to get out of this pit is to go to something that is beyond me, something that is outside of me, something that is not natural, but supernatural. And so he goes to the Lord, his God. Now the question is, is like, how did he do that? How did he strengthen himself in the Lord? The next verse tells us, it says, he went to Abiathar the priest and he said, bring me the ephod. And, and let me tell you what the ephod is because it is your secret weapon when your soul is overwhelmed. The ephod was actually a garment that the priest put on when they were going to praise and worship God. God didn't go to his men. He didn't go to his friends. He went to praise God. He was greatly distressed and he had every reason to be angry. He had lost his family. He didn't know where they were. His possessions had been burned to the ground. He had every reason to be anxious, overwhelmed, bitter in spirit. And he had every reason to spiral out of control, but he didn't spiral out of control. He got a spine and said, I'm not going to let the situation dictate my response. I'm going to go and strengthen myself in the Lord. Listen, church, sometimes you just got to talk to yourself. I'm not talking like talking to yourself crazy. 
on the streets. I'm talking about like you got to strengthen, like you got to get in God's word. You got to remember that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That if God is for me, who can be against me? Like it's the reason we tell you, man, hide God's word, read God's word every single day because you're going to need it when you're in moments that are overwhelming. I remember in my season where I was overwhelmed, I, I had to continuously tell myself, man, that if God is for me, who can be against me? Man, God is a God that sticks closer than a brother. I had to continually tell myself that, that, you know what, in this season, I do have a hope. I do have a future. Man, God has got good plans for me. I had to get a connection with heaven because earth was not working, church. And I know for some of you, right now, earth is not working for you. So how's your connection to heaven? How are you connecting to the Lord, your God? So if we're going to praise, what is praise? If we're going to worship, what is worship? Is it good songs? It's that. That's some of it. It's why we raise our hands in here. Not because I like raising my hands and surrender, but God likes me to surrender to him. It's why we shout in here because he said, lift up a shout of praise. Like, I don't know if you realize this because some of you, you came in here today and you're like, oh man, I just didn't feel that set. Like, they didn't play my song. Hello, the worship and music isn't for you. We're not here to worship you. We're here to worship God. So who cares if you didn't like the song? It's not for you. It's not about you. It's about you getting connected to God and getting your thing back that you've been lost and has been stolen from your life. It's why we clap our hands. He says, clap your hands, all your people, and shout with a voice of triumph to God. I had somebody a couple weeks ago tell me, TJ, we need, we need traditional worship. We need, we need a traditional worship service. I was like, oh yeah? Let's go back 2,000 years. They clapped, and they ran, and they shouted, and they jumped, and they praised, and they clanged cymbals, and they beat drums. We're going to go old school. We got it right now. Get back on pace here, okay. <laughs> I mean, Jesus talks about this in John 4, 23. He says, there's a woman at the well, he's talking to her, he says, there's a time that's coming and has come now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father speaks. Listen, if you find yourself with an overwhelmed soul and you, find, you feel like God is nowhere to be found in your life, if you'll start praising him, he'll start finding you. I'm just telling you, because that's what he's seeking. So what it says, it's the kind of worship that he's seeking. It's somebody that's going, man, I'm going all out. And you know what's interesting? It says they will worship in spirit. That word spirit there is actually, it means breath. So what it's saying is, it, is it's going, man, worship is something that has to be expressed. This is my definition of worship. Worship is what gets your mind's attention and your heart's affection. Because whatever gets that gets your worship because we're all designed to worship. In our DNA, God designed us as worshipers in life. And our, our worship is love being expressed. So, so let me put it to you like this. What if, I, what if I, I told Shayla, I love you, but don't ever expect me to show it? Like it's just not, it's just not my personality. Like that would go over like a ton of bricks. But so many of us, that's what we do to God, right? I need a breakthrough, miracle, 
power. Love you, Jesus. Just don't expect me to do it, show you. It's not my personality. I'm not expressive like that. Oh, I bet you get real expressive if somebody did something to your kid, though. I bet you if your team was in the big game and they were winning, you'd be real expressive. How can you get expressive for a team that does not even know your name when there is a God that took your name to the cross of Calvary? I wish somebody would start praising in here. I wish somebody start worshiping God in here. They start realizing there's a God who actually knows their name and cares about them. Okay, you guys got to sit down. I got I'm three minutes. It's not good. Let me give you... Some last little things. And I wish I could explain this better, but worship causes joy to rise and it causes hope to come back to your life. My situation, it didn't change. But right here every week, this is my seat. It says reserved on it. I'm special. It's the only thing I get here at this church is I get a special seat. I would come in here every week and I pour my heart out to God in worship. Then every time I got in my car, I would, on my iTunes playlist, man, I would pour my heart out to God. And what happened is I began to get my soul back to a place where joy was there again and hope was there again. And listen, nothing had changed in my circumstances. Not a single bit had changed externally, but inside of me, I'd pulled something from heaven down to earth. Here's what happened. I got my confidence back. I got my fight back. And some of you need that. You need that here today because the enemy has stolen your joy. The enemy has stolen your peace. He has stolen your confidence. He's, he's broken up some relationships. He has stolen the intimacy that you have with God the Father. And so you need to worship like David did and start to take back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. Because when you worship, you begin to make your soul whole again. And my prayer for us today is that there is a shaking on the inside of you like never before, and that overwhelmness gets shaken off because there is a new and renewed focus. And here's, here's the deal. In David's situation, as he began to seek after God in this way, it says in verse eight, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this man? Shall I overtake him? And he answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and rescue them. Number three, here's what God will do in the middle of, of, of your overwhelmed soul as you begin to pursue him, is he'll give you a new purpose and a new direction for your life. God will take that pain and he won't let it be in vain. He's gonna go, man, I've, I've got something more for your life and I know you're so focused on the pain right now, but there is purpose in your pain. And I wanna utilize everything that you've gone through to help some other people to take back everything that the enemy has stolen. I wanna give you some new direction in life and if you'll get your eyes off of the, your current reality to my reality for you, then everything will change in your life because your focus won't be on the current circumstances. It'll be on the internal reward. 
And here's what I learned in that season. I learned that there were some broken areas of my life that needed to get fixed that I was unaware of. And as I started doing, fixing those things in my life, God started to show me some new direction and some new vision for what whole and healthy and healed looks like. And it wasn't just a vision for my life, it was a vision for our church's life, which is why this year is a year of health. Because God said, man, you need to be healthy physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally and financially and, and mentally. Like, like you need to be healthy and whole to have and live with integrity. You can't just be compartmentalized. You're good spiritually, but you suck financially. No, no, no. You need to be whole everywhere. And he changes things and he transforms things. And so I don't know where you're at with your soul being overwhelmed, but I know a lot of people have their soul overwhelmed. And so my question is, is have you found your people? Have you dealt with the pain in this season so it doesn't get transferred to the next season? And as you're doing that, I promise you that God will give you some new purpose. And he'll give you some new direction for your life. Would you guys bow your heads and pray? God, we love you in this place and we thank you that you're a God that does not leave us in the middle of our mess, but God, you meet us right where we are. And I pray right now that for every man, for every woman, for every student that's in this room that has an overwhelmed soul, that God, that you begin to infiltrate their hearts right now. Holy Spirit, begin to reveal the broken places inside of every one of us. Not so that we can just be aware, but so that we can find healing and wholeness. God, and I pray that as we deal with our past and we start to get our worship on, God, that you would start to reveal yourself to us, that you would give us clarity of direction and renewed intention on purpose, God, so that we could live a life that's complete and satisfying and purposeful. Here's what I know. Maybe there's some of you out there today, as you're listening to this, maybe you don't have a relationship with God. I'm not talking about rules or religion. I'm talking about a God that loves you so much that he saw you in the middle of your mess and said, I'll make a way where there is no way. And he did that through his son, Jesus, who he sent to this earth to live a perfect life and die a sinner's death, a death for your mistakes and your sin and your shame, who rose three days later defeating death, hell, and the grave so that we could live life and have it, live it in abundance. And maybe you need to experience that for the first time or the first time in a long time. It begins with a simple yet significant prayer of surrender. If that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just slip your hand up at the count of three, we'd really love to pray with you. One, two, three. Yes, sir. Yes, two, three, four, five, six. I see you back there. Thank you. 
Somebody else. Seven. Yes, I see you back there. Yes, I see you. Eight. If you just pray this prayer in your heart, say, God, thank you for loving me, for meeting me here right here in this moment. God, I pray that you would forgive me of my past, change my present, and secure my future. Fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. I surrender my will. I surrender my way. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.